the key to real change is understanding what lens we're currently looking at life through, right? And understanding how that lens may be flawed or how it may have some smudges. Deep down in your gut, you know there's more to life than waking up for school or work, going through the motions just to get by, and living for the weekend. But you're still scared and uncertain about what your true purpose in life is. Welcome to the Free Time Podcast, your very own community and virtual support group created to help you leverage your free time as a valuable asset so you can start to improve your mindset, learn self-empowerment skills, and ultimately find true fulfillment to move you towards the incredible life that was specifically created for you to live. This is more than a podcast dropping three episodes a week. This is a movement built around real people sharing real stories focused on helping you make the most of your life by becoming super intentional with your time. Brought to you by your host, Carl Sona. Now, before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a quick announcement. We're on a mission to build a movement here around the topics of self-empowerment, mental health, and personal fulfillment. These are all some really big topics that we all deal with as human beings, but also they're topics that will look a little different for each of us as individuals. And so I'd love to put a name with the face and learn more about who you are and where you are currently along your journey. So I'm super excited to announce that I'm offering free 15-minute Zoom phone calls with me in order for us to get better acquainted. If you're at all interested in this, please hit the link to my calendar in the show notes below to sign up for a time, and I'll see you there. Now, without further ado, let's jump into our episode today. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Free Time Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for tuning in again. If you're listening to this, you're now tuning in into part two of Racial Conversations with my boy, Ike. Ike, what's up, bro? How you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, man? It's, uh, it's been a been an incredible week. I'm good, man. I'm good. It really has been, man. You know, for those of you that are tuning into part two, please go back and listen to part one. Ike and I dropped an episode last Sunday titled The Power of Conversations and Active Listening. And really, a lot of this was due to everything that's going on in our nation right now, you know, from Ahmaud Arbery to George Floyd to Breonna Taylor. And unfortunately, the list goes on and on. Ike and I, as two young black men, decided that we would put our, our voices together and we would just try to find a way to keep the conversation going. Um, it pains me every time we see police brutality or some sort of racial injustice situation that's just blown up in the media, right? And as a black man, every time I see that situation, I feel like there's a huge spike in terms of the uproar and the backlash. But... Sure enough, things sort of just kind of go back to normal, right? And it's just almost sort of just like swept under the rug a little bit. And so Ike and I, we don't want to see that continue to happen. And we feel like now is the best time ever because our nation is currently putting a lot of focus and attention on the racial injustices that Americans have had to deal with for so long, that Black Americans have had to deal with for so long, that we feel like this is a great opportunity to lend a voice, to talk about our experiences, but to also give you, the listener, a little bit of tips, tactics, strategies that will help you hopefully understand the situation for Black people in America and find ways to keep the conversation going in your own immediate spheres of influence. Not so, Ike? Yeah, 
You're exactly right with that, Carl. These are times that we all should be putting our heads together and trying to find solutions and trying to find answers and trying to continue to learn, continue to educate ourselves so that we don't have to, you know, see our kids go through this. We don't have to see our grandkids go through this. And yeah. so I think, like you were saying, like you touched on, you know, right now, you know, I, I talked about this in episode one. This is really kind of the way I've gone about my life. I really believe that everything in life happens for a reason, good, bad, or in between. Right, right. And so when I think about how 2020 has, you know, has taken place so far, whether it was Kobe Bryant's, you know, passing, whether it was coronavirus, whether it was, you know, the racial inequality continuing to be a huge issue, whether it's police brutality, like all of those things. And I think we're kind of in a point in our, in our, in our world and in time where we all can take a step back and figure out, Hey, what can I do that can really help shape the future? And so that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm excited, you know, to get into it today. You know, the response that we've gotten from episode one has been truly tremendous from all levels in all parts of life. And, you know, we'll, we'll dive into this and, you know, it's been great. I just continue, like Carl alluded to, I continue to urge you guys to have these types of conversations with the individuals in your lives. Share the experiences that you are hearing from us and from other Black folks in your lives. And let's continue that dialogue so that we can see the change that we want to see. And a couple of things on that point, you know, yeah, we're Black guys, but we're not experts on everything going on. Um, it's very important for me to help people understand that as much as we're having these conversations to, you know, keep the dialogue going and as much as we are sharing our experiences, we don't have it all figured out, nor will we ever pretend to have it all figured out, right? So much of having dialogue is we get to share and engage with new ideas. And it's a beautiful thing, right, that we're such a developed species that we all have the ability to learn and to change our perspectives. You know, I want to I want to share something from this book that I've been reading. It's a book called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. A guy named Stephen Covey wrote it. And he talks about paradigm shifts. And paradigms are essentially the lenses or the perspectives through which we view the world. And he said something so powerful in one of the very early on chapters. He said, we tend to view the world not as it actually is, but as we are or as we've been conditioned to be. So what that means is like, yo, like we're all walking around the world thinking that like we know it all, but really it's a very subjective experience, right? That we're coming from that shapes our beliefs and or our perspectives about the world. And the first thing is acknowledging that we are flawed and we are limited in our knowledge of everything going on. I, I will never be you and you will never be me. We both have different experiences, although we're both handsome black men. <laughs> so that's really the reason why we titled last week's episode, you know, Power of Conversations and Active Listening is we all matter. Yes, black lives matter. And if you believe black lives matter, then you should believe all lives matter. And because all lives matter and we all have a voice, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to start to understand that we all have a human experience that's different from the person we may be talking to. And because of that, we should be willing to listen to their experience objectively and, and without judgment and just be willing to open ourselves to that other person's experiences, et cetera. 
You know what I mean? That, that's how we that's how we actually take away and hopefully evolve together and become more unified versus you know separated and disjointed. So that's enough on that. I, I just wanted to share that little passage because that that really really hit my heart, man. So, bro. Speaking of keeping the conversations going, we got lots of questions last week, right? Yeah. You got lots of questions. What did you hear in your end, man? I, I, I want to open up the mic to the people's questions, man, because it would be wrong of us to be preaching up here about how we, you know, maintain open dialogue and not address some of the amazing questions that were dialed into us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll dive into the questions in a second. I do want to say, you know, it's been truly, truly amazing and and uplifting um, the response that we have gotten over yeah. you know the past several days since we you know we we launched uh, episode one, and you know whether it was folks from back in high school that had called me you know nigga or had you know made racist jokes or whether it was folks that you know just like truly never took the time to understand now recognizing and trying to do so and taking the time to listen to it you know. It was truly amazing. And so we really appreciate it. Like Carl talked about, we want to continue that dialogue and continue that conversation. So we urge you guys to keep pushing that envelope. Keep it going. Yeah, we got some great questions, um, which we'll dive into here. Carl, you want to start or should I start? Yeah, I'll start, man. I'll start. So for those of you that didn't know, we essentially took to Facebook and Instagram and we, we released a poll. And I think the question was, what do you want to know about the racial you know, injustices in this world? And what do you want to specifically know about how to keep the conversations going in your own community? So the first question we got was, how do you balance daily life and having joyful moments, but still care about Black Lives Matters? And I think this is a fantastic question, man, because one of the things that I know we're both starting to uh, get a lot from it, especially from our white friends, right, that are in the majority in this country is feelings that are a little bit geared towards guilt and or shame, right? It's like, ah, like, I want to be able to live my life. And I want to be able to like post what I would normally post, but Black Lives Matters, right, is front and center. And so how do I still conduct my life and live as I normally would? But how do I do so without taking my eye off of Black Lives Matters. Does that make sense, Ike? Yeah. Like, are you hearing that as well, too? I'm hearing that as well, man. And you see it even with, like, the NBA restart. You've got these players yeah. that, although they want to win a championship, they're conflicted because they understand the the importance of now and they understand the urgency that, you know, we're, we're all living in in this current moment. And so it's tough. You know, I want to hear, you know, from you in terms of kind of how you balance it. For me personally, it has been challenging. Yeah. I've had consistent headaches. You know, it's, it's been emotionally draining, but it's also been very uplifting having the conversations that I've had with a lot of people in my life lately. Um, and what I started to do, I actually um, just bought a one-year membership and using the Calm app. Highly recommend it, guys. A lot of different things there, whether it relates to anxiety or stress or meditation. And so I do, I spend about an hour each day now, you know, doing that, that kind of helps. And just continuing to do the things that I love as well, whether it's playing basketball, whether it's hanging out with my girlfriend, whether it's playing with my, my dogs, et cetera. You know, it's important to find that balance because it can be, you know, it can be very, you know, stressful and it can be very challenging taking on, you know, the, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and really trying to do your part. And so 
It's something I'm still working on. It's something I'm still struggling with. But I think as time goes on, you know, I'll hopefully find that balance, you know, that keeps me going for a long time. Yeah. So it's been hard for me too, bro. Everything you said, I personally resonate with. And I'm so happy to hear that you're meditating. That's something that I've done over the past five years now. And it's been, it's done wonders for me and just the quality of my mental health. There's a lot going on right now. So I can't stress the importance of taking time for yourself, taking time to be silent and just taking time to just be quiet with yourself. I mean, it's so incredibly important. So enough on that. But to this question, you know, how do you balance daily life, having joyful moments, but still caring about Black Lives Matters? I think that the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be a mindset shift. When I read this question, and there's nothing wrong with the question, it's very valid, but I read it almost from the perspective of what I said at the very beginning of this episode, that like Black Lives Matters is just like a new fad. It's almost like it's like a fundraiser, or it's almost like it's like, you know, some like some like poster child event that people feel the obligation to rally around for the time being that in the back of their minds feels very controversial and feels like more of a duty than anything else. Right. And so I think we all need to address that for what it is. If you are feeling that way, don't attach guilt or shame to yourself, but start to understand that like Black Lives Matters is really a resurgence that is now front and center because our nation has dealt with injustices pointed towards minorities and African-Americans for the test of time. I mean, literally since like the existence of our nation, Black people have been the downtrodden, you know, outcasts of this society. So I think the first thing to sort of wrap your mind around is you got to understand that this is nothing new and that it's not necessarily your fault, but in order for it to no longer be a situation that you carry a burden around feeling or that you carry some sort of weird obligation towards, you need to ask yourself how you can conduct yourself in a matter in which you actually demonstrate on a daily basis that we are all equals. You know what I'm saying? So if, if that's, you know, you and your homie, you and your white homie driving around and, you're, and your white homie making some sort of passive aggressive comment towards why African-American people, you know what I'm saying, like have shoddy cars or some sort of like weird stereotype that exists, right? It's you literally calling that out and saying like, yo, listen, man, like <laughs> that could be anybody. We need to understand how our society has been set up to keep African-Americans down. And why? Because they've been down for so long, they probably exhibit some of these qualities or some of these tendencies that we would view as a stereotype. That's just black people being black people, but really they're more attributed towards oppressive forces, you know? So I, I really just encourage people to not think about Black Lives Matters as, man, like this is what I got to do for like the month of June and July until it just sort of dies down. And I, I can't post- <laughs> until the NBA I can't post, Yeah, exactly. I can't post normal content online or I, I, I can't just be me or be goofy or whatever the case may be. Like think of it as less of that and more of like, all right, like how do I embody or how do I demonstrate that I view all lives as equal. If you do, in fact, believe that, you know what I'm saying? So I'll take a little bit of a pause there and, and I'll let you come in, Ike, and, and let me know how you interpret this question and what you would offer to this person um, that just asked that to us. Yeah, so how I interpret that question um, is, you know, you want to take the time, like I talked about in my initial response, with 
you know, the self-care and the, and the self-help. You want to continue to do that as you continue to push forward. But in terms of how you can help facilitate change, it's like Carl talked about. It's not something that we want to focus on just for the month of June or just for the month of July or just for the rest of 2020 because we're in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. We want to continue to see that change as time goes on. And so the question that I've gotten a lot, you know, from a lot of friends in, in my life is, what does that look like? Or how can I continue that narrative for the test of time? And the answer, there's not a specific answer to it, but one of the main answers that I give my, my friends and, and my family is just continuing to have these types of conversations, you know, whether it's in the workplace. If you don't see diversity being something that is at the top of the priority list at the company you work for, point that out. If you feel like you see something, you know, something passive aggressive happening and, and, and it almost feels like uh, an attack on a person because of the color of their skin or because of, you know, their, their sex or whatever the case may be, point that out. You know, if, you know, you have people in your life that aren't trying to understand, but you feel like it's important for them to take some sort of understanding, have those conversations as uncomfortable as they, you know, as they are. It's really important for us all, especially right now, to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And so right. continue that narrative, continue pushing that envelope and having those discussions because as that continues, then over time, I do believe that we'll see the change that we all want to see. Right. We see it already, but it's going to take a lot of time. Right. And the key to real change is understanding what lens we're currently looking at life through, Right. And understanding how that lens may be flawed or how it may have some smudges. So if you find that you don't really understand what it's like for a black person in America, or you don't understand what it's like for a minority person, or to Ike's example, you're not seeing a lot of diversity around you, be willing to make yourself uncomfortable and seek that out. I mean, there's, there's shelters you can volunteer at, right? I personally volunteer at Denver Maha United Way. And a couple times a year, they do these huge like project homeless community days where you get paired up with the homeless person and you're just hanging out with them. You get to like, you know, have a conversation, hear their story as you're walking them around through all the different services. And it's an opportunity to see life through another person's lens or through another person's perspective. Right. Not saying that they're right, but like, I remember the first time I did that exercise or I, I volunteered at that event, man, I was like, wow, like homeless people, like, we have some things in common. <laughs> yeah. We have some similar struggles. We, we have some similar fears. We, we find similar things funny or humorous. And I think that that does a lot of good in terms of helping us understand that we're all human beings. So I would just ask, and I would really encourage people to not look at Black Lives Matters as some sort of like popularity contest on Instagram, meaning who can post you know, a, a thing about Black Lives Matters, right? That like gets like the most likes or whatever. Like forget about this from like a social media perspective and think about this more so on a day-to-day. Maybe you want to even challenge yourself, you know, on an ongoing basis, you know, do one bullet point for like your task of things. Like I will try to smile at a minority person in the grocery market or I will say hello or strike up a random conversation. I mean, that's just, it's a silly example but it's an example of how you start to like live Black Lives Matters versus post Black Lives Matters, right? Which may feel like a more of an obligation and more of something that is like a task and a chore that you don't really want to be bothered with, if that makes any kind of sense. So 
I think we hit that one out of the park, Ike. I hope I hope <laughs> I hope you <laughs> I hope you didn't belabor it, but hopefully some people, you know, uh listening to this come away with a couple of actionable ideas as to how they can, you know, be a little bit more proactive with that situation. So the second question is, and actually comes from a black person. He goes, as a black man, how do I do my part? Ike, what do you think, man? I mean, we were just talking about like the LeBrons of the world and the Dave Chappelle's of the world, right? That have been getting a lot of stones casted at them because folks feel like they haven't been taking um, as active of a stance on this matter. So talk to me a little bit about how you feel as a black man with everything going on. I mean, we're now, you know, sort of America's focal point. Like we're like the talk of the town, but not all of us are comfortable with stepping out and taking an active stance or maybe some of us are still trying to wrap our heads around everything that's going on and how we really feel about the matter. I mean, what has that been like for you, bro? Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, it's definitely had its challenges, but you know, it's something I welcome and, and something that I relish in, you know, and I will for the rest of time. And, you know, to answer the question specifically, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record today, but I think it's really important, no matter what the color of your skin is, to continue having these conversations. And so, like we talked about a little bit in episode one, you know, there's a lot of black folks out there that that feel like, you know, I've been preaching about this stuff for years and decades and nobody's heard me. And it's like, I don't really feel like I want to talk about it anymore. Or there's folks that maybe still feel uncomfortable about having these conversations with folks in their lives. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios that we could, you know, we could run through here. But as a black man, I think it's really important to try to provide that perspective and and share those experiences that you face with anyone that's open and willing to listen in your life. And so I really appreciate a lot of my friends from all walks of life, whether it be grade school, high school, college, or you know, my my, you know, the, my my professional career have reached out to me and we've had two to three hour conversations where I just, we talk about our lives, we catch up on things, we dive into some of my experiences. And I feel like right now, and I will continue to be this way, I feel like it's important to be an open book. And so as a black man, I think it's important right now to be an open book, share these experiences. Because I think as a society, we're at the point where we are truly ready to, a lot of people, I should say, are really truly ready to hear what we have to say. And so take advantage of that. You know, don't be you know, don't, don't be quick to cast aspersions or quick to feel like, it, you know, it's, you know, a little too late, whatever the case may be, just continue to continue the dialogue and continue that narrative. Yeah. I love it, man. Black lives matters. And so does your voice, brother. So if you got a voice tax point, I would just really encourage you to use it and to be willing to talk about some of the things that you've dealt with, to talk about some of your insecurities. You know, a lot of people don't really talk about that. Like, Growing up black oftentimes or at times, you know, was a major insecurity for them. Like I have a lot of friends that are black that have have told me that in private. And it's something that growing up, I never totally fully understood or got, but it makes a little bit of sense with everything going on, man. I mean, at times you feel like you don't really have a dog in the race. You feel like your opinion doesn't really matter. Maybe you feel like you don't have the communication skills to voice your opinion in a way that people will understand and hear you and see you. Whatever the reason may be, I think that now is the time to put all that aside. We have a platform now. People 
are itching to understand. There are a lot of good people out there that are reaching out to Ike, myself, and other people you know, that don't necessarily look like them that are, are wanting to understand how they haven't really been seeing the full picture. And so here's an opportunity for you to take a hold of the stage and for you, no matter how big the stage is, no matter how big your audience is, if it's one-to-one or one-to-many, but to open up about your experiences, to open up about some of the things that have been difficult or challenging for you so that hopefully, again, we can get people to understand a different perspective, one that they've not considered in the past. So I agree with you there, bro. Yeah, I think it's also, you know, just, just to, to piggyback off of that a little bit, I think it's also, too, as a Black man, it's, it's important to, like we talked about earlier, to continue to educate yourself because we don't know it all. We're not a history book and we haven't experienced all that life has to offer. And so at the end of the day, that's one thing that I've taken pride in, especially lately, is just trying to educate myself, whether it's reading books. You know, I just finished, so you want to talk about race. And I know a lot of my friends are reading that book right now. And that's really opened my eyes to a lot of things, you know, whether it's watching documentaries, whether it's researching things online, hearing other people's experiences, you know, continued conversations, et cetera, you know, just continue to seek that knowledge. I think that's also important, you know, overall for, you know, the movement and, you know, and in, in honestly, just in your everyday life. And so I think that's really important. Question three here, I think is no, a very important one. I've gotten this question a few times from folks in my life, and it's interesting that you've gotten that same question as well. Why is defunding the police more of an issue than defunding the public schools? I'll let you take that one, Carl. I know that I just shared with you a screenshot not all that long ago. Um, I'm in Denver, you're in Phoenix, and the screenshot that I found was how much of the state tax budget goes towards the police, right? And I'm trying to pull it up, right? Yeah. I'm trying to pull it up here real quick as I'm talking because... I was blown away by how overly funded the police are. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, bro. Denver's budget in perspective of homelessness, which we have a huge issue with here in Denver, affordable housing and the police. The police outweigh affordable housing and homelessness by over 15 times in terms of how much of the budget is allocated towards them versus affordable housing so that Again, we don't have minorities or people that, you know, don't pull in that much money on the streets that directly affects our other huge issue of of homelessness. So I think that a lot of people are starting to wisen up to what their local officials and leaders uh, stances are on some of these political issues. And people are starting to do more research, myself included, man, I'll be honest, as a millennial in this country, up until recently, I've never really thought much about the our, our political and our, our, our government system. So I haven't traditionally voted. I haven't traditionally educated myself on what some of my local elected you know, leaders care about and what they're actually looking to implement in terms of policy. And so the more research I do and I find statistics like this, I'm absolutely blown away by how crass we can be, right? Towards some of the more pressing issues when our police are very, very faulted, right, in their ability to actually police and, and, and actually protect and serve, which is why we have police, right? It's to protect and serve. Like, for instance, it takes on average six to eight months, from what I understand, for a police officer to get their gun and their badge. And then they're just given the ability to go out and protect and serve. And they actually have the ability to, like, lock you up, which can really change the outcome or the outlook on your life going forward. Whereas I think about like another professional that has human life in their hand, 
that being a doctor. A doctor has to go through eight to 10 years of training, right, before they are granted privileges to actually have human life in their hand. And I'm like, why is there such a low barrier to entry for police people to come in? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are we really doing to like vet these people? And then you look at how much these people make. <laughs> like, 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 I don't know how much they make in Arizona. I don't know how much they make in Denver, but I'm guessing somewhere in the forty dollars to $50,000 range. And it's like, who are we really attracting in terms of good quality people to actually, you know, patrol our streets and protect and serve humankind? So I feel like that on top of this huge budget that's being, you know, allocated towards a broken system is probably a key reason as to why we are where we currently are. And I think that when it comes to real change, real sustainable change, we need to look at that budget deficit and better understand why public schools are so defunded. Why homelessness, affordable housing, why, why are those so defunded relative to police that are causing a lot of the issues and that are, for all intents and purposes, oppressing many of the people in minority communities? right, that already don't have the funding to actually bring about positive change in those communities. So the system is broken, bro. And I think that's why we're, we're starting to see more and more press on this. And, you know, we'll get to this a little bit later on in the episode about what you can all start to do in terms of taking real action, right, and changing your behavior to, to actually, you know, start voting on some of these issues so that we can hopefully put elected officials in the appropriate roles that actually want to bring about some meaningful change. But I think, again, first things first, getting yourself educated on some of these huge disparities in your local community is a great place to start. And I'm happy we're having the conversation. Yeah. And you touched on, you know, everything as it relates to the defunding the police and kind of the people, you know, the people's opinions on that. I think one of the things that I've seen with, you know, having conversations with individuals in my life um, as it relates to defunding the police is the interpretation of the term itself. A lot of folks out there, don't agree with the exact term defunding the police. And they have their own interpretation of that. And a lot of them feel like it's really geared towards, you know, withdrawing all funds from the police department versus what I take it to mean and what I think a lot of people really take it to mean is just redistributing some of those funds in areas of the community that will help facilitate equality that we're all looking for. And whether right. that be in the public school system, whether that be when it comes to people looking for jobs, whether that be, you know, in the actual communities and the programs that are in place to help kids get out of poverty and, and be on or become on an equal playing, you know, playing field as other folks, you know, that they come encounter. with. And so I, it's, I think that's the importance of, you know, what it means in terms of my opinion of defunding the police. And I think it's really important to just do the research on, different ways that we can re redistribute, you know, like, like Carl alluded to, you know, redistribute though, you know, the financial capital that is so overwhelmingly given towards the police department and put that in areas that it may have a bigger impact because at the end of the day, they're not, you know, they're not therapists, you know, they're not social, right. social workers, you know, they're not, they're not trained to do all these different things, but because of the way the system is set up, like Carl talked about, the system is, is fucking broken. And because of the way the system is set up, they're tasked with having to handle so many issues at once. And at yeah. the end of the day, it shouldn't be like that. Well, bro, it's almost like because the system is so broken and these other areas are severely underfunded, 
we see an increase in crime, right? As a direct correlation to poverty, right? And it's almost like the solution, which in my mind is nothing but a bandit is, well, let's put more police out there. Let's put more potentially underqualified or potentially under trained policemen out there, you know, to try to like answer or to try to address the huge issue with poverty that then leads to more crime. And it's not working. It's not working. You can't take the entire budget away from these other areas that then leads to greater issues and say, let's throw more people out there, give them a gun and a badge and expect them to figure it out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh, and by the way, let's pay them peanuts in terms of an annual salary. <laughs> yeah. It's going to continue to be this black hole that is forever spiraling yeah. downwards. You see what I'm saying? Exactly, yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is the vetting process. A lot of it is the training Carl alluded to. I think I was reading something that said it, 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 there's more training involved in becoming a barber than there is to become a police officer in our country. And, yeah. you know, if, if you think about that for a second, it's just like that doesn't, doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, these right. are the realities that you know that we're we're tasked with you you know you see a lot of these things and obviously there's a lot of great police officers out there that's not what anyone is really debating the fact of the matter is though there's not enough background knowledge and research done on certain individuals that may have you know racial bias or may feel some type of way about a particular type of person and may react in a certain way in an instance that we've seen time and time again in our country. And so yeah. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to attack it, but I think at the end of the day, we should all take a step back and look at the system as a whole and figure out different ways, you know, in which to form a better system over time, obviously, because it's going to take time, but form a better system so that we can all live in an equal and just world. And so that's what it yeah. comes down to. And so I think all of our homework assignment there is, you know, and I'm really talking to myself, get better educated on the system that's currently in place in your local communities and start to really research some of the, you know, political candidates and or elective officials that are in charge of legislation in your community and and find ways to align yourself with people that are actually looking to bring about real meaningful change to the system and vote those people in, support their cause. I mean, I think to your point, Ike, that's how we start to kind of see a shift in this tide over the course of time. You know what I'm saying? So great question. Thank you for typing that one in. The next one, I really like this next question because I see my (laughs) girlfriend. My girlfriend is really struggling with this next one as it relates to a lot of the brands that she works with on a partnership level. And the question is, do you think non-Black people are posting about Black Lives Matters solely because they're looking to clout chase or do you generally think that they're actually concerned about the issue? Yeah. And before Carl answers this, my boy, Stevie, he, he was the one, he's an Asian American. Yeah. He wanted to take recognition on the, the, you know, these questions. And I think it's a really important question to address. And so I'll let Carl start. Yeah, man. It, it's a very valid question. So Stevie, you know, bro, thank you for um, typing it in. Julia is a, a brand ambassador slash influencer for a brand called Balance Athletica. So it's a very, very awesome brand um, based here out of Denver. And recently they just opened up a, a new line. Uh, I think it's called like We All Matter or something like that. I might be butchering that. But they just started a new brand and they were getting some shit. So this new brand, let me back it up. All proceeds, I believe, are supposed to go towards like black owned businesses 
you know, Black Lives Matters initiatives, things of that nature. And they were just getting some shit because it's two white girls that own it, right? They were just getting some shit from some Black influencers that were like, hey, y'all are just profiting off of Black Lives Matters right now. Like, instead of starting this, this new brand or this new initiative, you should just donate some of your existing proceeds directly towards, you know, Black-owned businesses or Black Lives Matters. And, you know, Julia was like, well, what the fuck, man? Like, I'm partnered with this brand. Like, does this mean that, like, I shouldn't support them, even though, like, I personally know them and they're good people? And, you know, I was all on board for it because I'm personally educating myself on Black Lives Matters and I'm doing my best to, you know, take a stance towards equality and all these different things going on. And I'm like, babe, like, I feel like right now, everybody's just, very, very triggered, right, with everything going on. And I almost feel like people are trying to find any little gap or any little hole in another person's intentions or another person's response just to, like, cast a stone for whatever reason and just to troll them. Now, I'm not going to pretend to think that there aren't some businesses out there that may be looking at the situation right now and almost looking at it as, like, a profit player, right? Meaning, how can we stamp, you know, Black Lives Matters on our products or how can we create some sort of new initiative that one, demonstrates, you know, that we're in support, but two, bumps our profit line up. So yeah, there's probably some people out there that like have that stance on it. And unfortunately for them, they're just shitty people. But I told Julia, I was like, babe, like you have to go with your heart. You have to go with what you know in your heart to believe is right and true. And if you know these two people that run this company, even though they're white female founders and they're starting this new line to show their support and this is how they're structuring things, you got to rock with it. Like, don't second guess that. You know, you guys are trying to raise some awareness. You're trying to use your platform to bring other Black-owned businesses up. If that's the true intent, and again, you know it to be true and honest for you and your heart, go with it. Who cares what people say? Because facts are, there's always going to be people on the internet looking to troll folks. And I almost feel like, it is their goal and it is their aim and their objective to get you to second guess yourself in terms of whether or not the thing that you're doing is correct. It's almost like their goal and their game to get you to like second guess yourself so much that you don't even move forward with it. So that's just where I really would invite people to, to have honest conversations, whether you're a business owner, you're a sole proprietor, and you're thinking about, you know, uh, championing the Black Lives Matters movement in whatever course of work that you currently, um, you know, work at? Like, is it something you truly care about? Is it something you truly believe? And is it something you're really in a genuine way looking to lend your platform towards? If, if you can say yes to all those things, go for it. If you're an individual that, you know, is looking out for selfish gain or, you know, I was even laughing. She showed me all these influencer accounts that are being exposed because these influencers are like going to these like parades and these protests and they're holding up Black Lives Matters just oh, to man. get a quick photo. And then like, oh. they're like running away. There, there was another one where like a girl literally had her boyfriend take a photo of her grabbing a drill from a Latino man <laughs> <laughs> and like rebuilding like a store that had been like looted oh, in like a God. black community just for the photo. That's, so like, yes, those people exist. And those are just shit people. Like, unfortunately, you're going to have shit people and you're going to have good people. But it doesn't mean that we have to allow the shit people and the worry about, you know, their own ulterior motives to take away from the greater agenda at a greater scale, which is Black Lives Matters and, and people looking to actually champion that. So 
I mean, that, that's my take on that. I just don't want to <laughs> see, I just don't want to see shit people get in the way of good people and their pure intentions, literally trying to figure out how they like take an active and positive stance on everything going on. Yeah. I mean, you, you really, I mean, you covered it all, Carl. I mean, there's not much really to, to say outside of that. Um, obviously like you alluded to, we're going to, you're going to have people in, you know, in our country that, you know, in our world that will be out there, you know, for the publicity, we'll be out there, you know, just to get an extra like or to get an extra follow and don't actually, you know, truly feel like this is something that is of the utmost importance. I think we're at a point in society, though, where there are a lot of people, I think more than ever, um, some might argue that do feel like, you know, I'm ready to take action. I'm ready to truly, truly make a difference. You know, I think it's a combination of things. I think for me personally, when I reflect on my life and where I'm, you know, where I'm at in this point in time, it's a combination of, you know, my age, you know, as, as we get older and we start to think about having kids and them living in a world like this, or whether it's, you know, the fact that we've been in a pandemic and a lot of us have been in quarantine and we have a lot of time to reflect, or whether it's the recent circumstances, you know, such as George Floyd or a lot of the African-Americans that have continued to, you know, be murdered in our country really with no no reason for it. And there's a lot to unpack as it relates to all of those different things. But like Carl talked about, I think it's really important for those who do feel, whether it's they slightly feel like, oh, this matters, but they don't know how long they can do this for, whether it's those who feel like, okay, I wanna, you know, I want to help create change, or whether it's those who are in between. You know, I would just urge you guys to continue to do the research, continue to have those conversations, continue to seek understanding and take action, whether it be with volunteer work, like Carl talked about earlier, whether it be with donating to, you know, different different charities and things of that nature, whether it be supporting locally black owned businesses. You know, there's a lot of different things that we can do as a society to help even the playing field that you know, that we, that we feel like should exist. And so, you know, there's really no particular answer to it, but you know, there's a lot. Of- yeah. Yeah. No real particular answer, but I'm really big about actionable items. And, and for those of you that are listening again, I, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. I mean, your time away from the day to day, it means so much. The fact that like you would spend it, you know, looking to educate yourself and looking to support black lives matters, because obviously you're listening to Ike and I. And so Again, I would just really emphasize that let's not make this about a social media popularity thing. Yes, social media is good because it's a great platform for you to reach people that you wouldn't reach on a day-to-day. But in your heart, if you really do believe that everything going on needs to change and that we need to find ways to actually hear each other and we need to find ways to actually come together and unify, please, please, please look for ways in your day-to-day life that you can do that if it's volunteering, if it's striking up a conversation with somebody that doesn't look like you. Again, I'm really big on keeping it simple and keeping it small because that's the lowest barrier to entry, if you will. And all we want to do with these conversations is get you guys to acknowledge that we all need to do a better job of actively listening and that we all need to do a better job of taking that information and finding ways to you know, continue the conversation and then take some action about it. So Find a way to conduct yourself in such a manner that, you know, demonstrates that you're a person that believes in equality. And, and for some of you, that may be a social media post, you know, if, if that's what's in your heart, okay, fine. But if you're doing it for a popularity, a popularity thing, or if you're just doing it to show that 
hey, I post it, I'm done. I would urge you to really check yourself. And again, to really question that paradigm, that lens that you are looking at the world through. Exactly, man, exactly. Awesome, man. What do we got up next? Yeah, I'm looking at the questions here. Um, this is an interesting one. Um, will they keep that same energy? I'm assuming this question is referred to people that, you know, of non-Black, you know, I guess we're, if we're talking about this movement of, you know, non-Black yeah. race. Um, yeah. Will they keep yeah. the same energy throughout their whole lives or will they repeat the same process again five years later and pretend to care again? Bro, great question. Um, I went to my girlfriend and I and our friend Riley, we went to the George Floyd vigil probably like a couple of weeks ago now. Honestly, I don't even know because I feel all the days are just stringing along together. And um, an African-American pastor came up and he talked about like going way back to Emmett Till and Trav- and then, you know, fast forward to 2009, whenever the Travion Martin thing happened and Oscar Grant. And, you know, dude, it's a long list now. And he was like, you know, as Americans, we keep on getting reminders. We keep on getting reminders because... These injustices happen. We see police brutality. We see an African-American life taken senselessly. And then it happens again a few months to a year after. And it's another reminder. And he's like, yo, there is no time like now. Now is the time to wake up. Like how many more reminders do we need that there is a huge issue in this country? And that shit hit me, man. Because to this person's question, yeah, man, like, is this going to continue to happen? And I think that this is the, one of the key reasons as to why you and I were like, yo, like, let's just talk about it. You know, at least if we at least just address it and actually talk about it, maybe we actually have a, a small probability or a small chance of, of reaching some people and getting them to, like, question, why does this continue to happen? Why do we need to continue to see these reminders? Is it because, you know, there's a big uproar whenever a situation uh, uh, happens and like the media, you know, publishes it and then nothing really changes because we're not talking about it. Or is there something else, you know, at greater at hand working against us, such as a broken system, right? We just talked about the capital budget being severely allocated towards police and not towards some of these other areas that, you know, potentially give rise to the issue. And so all we can do is continue to have the open conversation so that we can hopefully have enough dialogue that leads to some new observations that we can then, you know, proactively exercise, um, you know, based upon what it is we find. So my hope is that we don't have to continue to see these types of things happen. My, my honest hope, you know, I'm going to have a mixed kid. I, you're going to have a mixed kid. I mean, they're going to probably identify as black. I'm just assuming. My hope is that, like, this won't be a thing that, like, our kids in the next generation have to continue to deal with. Because I, I honestly worry that like the more it happens and we see the backlash and then nothing really changes, the more we sort of become desensitized to the issue. And, and that to me is like ultimate defeat. That to me is like, wow, like this is just a normal situation that like we almost expect to happen every so often. And I feel like if we get to that place where we're all just like laying down and accepting that as our truth, even though that shouldn't be the accepted truth, but like that's the lens we're looking out of and that tells us that that is now truth, then we're just done for as humanity, in my opinion. So I really hope some people like start to like listen, but more so start to really challenge themselves and their beliefs and what they can do on a local level. I mean, like everybody here needs to be a part of the solution if positive change is truly what we're seeking. 
Yeah, and I, and I agree with that 100%, but I'm going to look at this question and answer it from a little bit of a different angle. Sure. Because I think it's really important, especially with the times that we're all living in now, to yeah. really put the emphasis on the white folks out there. And what I mean by that is they've got to understand, they've got to recognize that because they've always been the majority, because they've always been, like we live in a white supremacist society. That's just the, the, the truth. And so to take a step back and to recognize that and understand that, you know, it's not something that we can continue to understand and, and, and think about deep down inside and say, okay, you know, this is how I feel or this bothers me, but not really say or do anything about it. I, I can't remember exactly where I saw this, but there was um, there was an incident that happened in an elevator elevator where um, it was an elevator full of majority white folks and then one black woman. And they were getting off the elevator. They'd stopped and they were getting off the elevator. And um, the guy said, ladies first. One of the guys on the elevator said, ladies first. And so the ladies on the elevator start to get off. The black woman is about to get off and he stops her. And he says, he looks at her and he says, I was saying, I said, ladies first. So in that moment, someone else shared that story that was on that elevator. But in that moment, nobody said a damn thing. Nobody did anything about it. You know, they just kind of let it happen. But you could see that it affected, you know, a lot of people that were in that elevator and experienced that situation. And that shit is just not right at all. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're at a point in, in time where because of a lot of different things that have happened, you know, most recently, especially in 2020, you know, a lot of folks and white folks in general really do understand that this is now the time I need to open my eyes. I need to do whatever I can to try to understand, to try to continue having these conversations. And I can't tell you how many friends that, you know, have told me whether it's having conversations with their, their parents, whether it's, you know, reading, you know, reading different things, whether it's watching documentaries, whether it's having conversations with you and I, you know, whether it's listening to our podcast, they're doing whatever they can to actually really help facilitate this change. And so I think that's, you know, I think that's important to answer the question. You know, I don't know. I hope my hope, like you said, my hope is that we continue to see that for the test of time, but only time will tell. And all we have is the last 400 plus years where that wasn't the case. And we're still here in 2020 dealing with these types of issues you know, you, it's hard to be really optimistic about it, but we've got to remain hopeful. And so that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm just a flaming optimist. I mean, sometimes I do think that things need to get to rock bottom and they need to get to their absolute worst in order for us to, you know, actually have some upward growth that we can actually begin to move towards. And so with everything going on this year, man, and it started with Kobe's death, man, you hit the nail on the head to then, you know, COVID to then this whole situation again. I just really, I really hope that like we can all like look at ourselves in like the mirror and be like, all right, we can only go up from here. Like, how do we use all of this pain and all of this suffering and all of this frustration? How do we use this towards our benefit, towards our advantage, right? And take all this energy and actually like transition it towards something that brings about some positivity and towards some lasting good that our nation, you know, can hopefully uh, reap the benefit from and stand united together to actually reap the benefit from. So I think that this is, this is hopefully our last reminder and that like we can all 
finally wake up, you know, and answer the bell and say, all right, like it's go time. Like let's actually like, do something that, you know, gets us out of the situation on more of a permanent basis. Exactly. Yeah. A thousand percent agree with you, man. And so we're, we're going to take a quick transition here with these questions. And I think this is really something that we want to focus on for the rest of this episode um, and beyond. Yeah. And so yeah. it starts with, you know, what is white privilege and why do some white people have a hard time recognizing it? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think the way that we actually tackle this one, Ike, is we actually like tell them some stories. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I'll start, you know. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll you start, man. One, um, I was telling you one that recently happened to me about a year and a half ago. And, you know, I was heading back from a great vacation with my girlfriend and some of our friends up in California. And about 20 minutes outside of Phoenix, I get, I was swerving a little bit, just tired from the six hour drive. And 20 minutes outside of Phoenix, I get pulled over. And so, freaking out you know i hate getting pulled over in general obviously and you know here we are and i'm so close to being home but you know i you know similar to, to you know what you had talked about earlier you know i took out you know my wallet i put it in the cup holder put my hands on the wheel waited for the cops to come up you know she asked me if i had been drinking or smoking or you know what was going on and said that she pulled me over because i was i, I was swerving and so within I kid you not, within 10 minutes of the initial conversation I had with this police officer, there was about seven cop cars that showed up. And I honestly, I, by the grace of God, I, I'm so grateful that Tara was with me because I don't know if I would have survived that incident and been able to get away with it. Like I, I had to do a few tests. They, they asked me that question over and over again. And at the end of the day, you know, I left and there was no harm done. And so I think about it and I recognize that had Tara not been in the car with me, you know, obviously my white girlfriend, would the situation have been different? And I think the answer is yes, because we've seen time and time again in our country where we've seen the, you know, the exact opposite happen when a black man is pulled over, you know, it ends up being the end of their life. Obviously, you know, you look at the most recent incident with George Floyd. And so, you know, as it relates to this question, you know, a lot of times it's it's really important to versus being defensive about it and really thinking about it from the standpoint of I don't agree with it based off of my particular experiences as a white person in this country. Because don't get me wrong, a lot of white folks have experienced, you know, troubles and hardships in their lives. But it's important to take a step back and recognize that although that may have been the case in your life, it wasn't because of the color of your skin. And I think when you take a step back and, and think about those situations or even think about it from the standpoint of imagine if I had lived the life that I lived and I was black, what would have been different about it? And I think if we all take a step back and recognize and understand that, I think that's where it starts with acknowledging white privilege because we see it in all walks of, of life, you know, as Americans. And, and so taking that, te- taking that step back and really looking at it from that angle, I think will help shed some additional light you know, onto those who may not agree with it. Let me ask you, bro, Uh how did Tara react or respond to that situation when you got pulled over? She obviously being a white female, what was her response to that situation as you guys were dealing with the cops interrogating you and then not two, not three, but up to seven squad cars behind you at one point? Yeah. So she was, she was great about it. Honestly, she was, you know, she was patting me on the back. Like I was stressing out. I started to sweat, you know, profusely immediately. And she was great about it, telling me it's going to be okay. You know, I was worried. I was like, you know, 
best case scenario, I'm going to get a ticket and I'm literally 20 minutes from my home. And so she did a great job of just calming me down. And she's a person that, you know, she'll admit to this, like she gets stressed out about a lot of situations, but this was not a particular situation where she felt like she should have been stressed. And that is, and that is white privilege right there. Yeah, exactly. That is white privilege. I mean, it is that basic scenario that in a situation like what I just explained that he experienced, that had he been a white person, a white female, a white male, that scenario, that imagined scenario of like the worst happening, that never even crosses your mind as a white person. It doesn't. It doesn't. The fact that like literally a routine traffic stop could then very quickly escalate to you being subdued and then potentially, God forbid, your, your, your life no longer, you know, no, you no longer being here in existence. Like that is something that the vast majority of white people never even have to consider as a reality for them. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate because a lot of times now, like I think this is something that just again, we talked about a lot in episode one about our upbringing and the experiences that we face and the surroundings that we had and how that kind of shaped who we, you know, who we are today. And I think back to that and, you know, it's for a lot of my life, I think I, I thought about police and was kind of scared of them. And I thought about different instances occurring, but I didn't experience a ton of things. Whereas a lot of African-Americans in our country continue to face those things on a day-to-day basis. So when we speak, we speak for not just us, but we speak for everyone else. But the reason I bring this up is, you know, it's, something that is now at the forefront of my head and my imagination when I'm outside, I'm wondering and I'm thinking about rather than just enjoying a walk in my neighborhood, I'm wondering like this could be the last time that, you know, I'm, I'm walking this sidewalk. Like and when I hear a car coming by me, honest to God, I'm thinking like, damn, they could literally just pull over and shoot me just because of the color of my skin. These are the thoughts that I continue to have now on a day-to-day basis when I am walk, you know, walking my dog. And the same thing with driving, you know, same thing with, just taking out the trash. You got to think about all these different scenarios, you know, before they happen or as they're taking place, just because of the color of your skin. And I think that's something that, you know, white people have to just recognize and understand that that's something that they have never really had to deal with. And that's, you know, that's something that we want to be more open about. Discussing right. Now. Right. And a very basic example of this, you know, from my own life is when I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, just a few years ago as a medical device sales rep, I would, I would drive from Atlanta to Birmingham. Uh, about three times a week. And it's roughly a two-hour drive down uh, 20. And one particular morning, I would always leave Atlanta super early in order to make it to Birmingham for like my 8 a.m. meetings. I'd be on the road like 5 or 5.30. But one particular morning, I'm probably 15 to 20 miles outside of Birmingham and an old pickup truck, an old Dodge Ram, 80s model, pulls up and I'm in my Audi, I'm in the left lane, I'm like zooming because I'm actually running a little bit late. I'm doing like 80, just bumping, just trying to get there. Typical and, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm probably like I'm probably like like 30 feet or so behind this pickup truck that's in the right lane, and it's a two-lane highway. And I can see that the gentleman in in the cab of the truck is probably a construction worker because he has one of those highlight vests on. And right when I'm about 30 feet behind him, I see him like raise his hand in this truck like this. And I'm like, what is he doing? Like, it's just me and him, you know, for my foreseeable uh, vision, right? And I get alongside of him and he takes his hand and he points it at me, making a gun and does like fires, like 
twice. Not fires, but like, you know, like, like does this yeah. with his thumb twice. And I'm like, holy shit, man. Like, that's wild. Like, that's clearly a very overt racial experience. Yeah. You know, obviously in the South, where the South is definitely a lot behind a lot of where America is. But that type of overt racism still exists. And certainly, you know, racism, whether it be overt or, or, or covert, I guess is, is the other word, you know, like that should exist because I'm a black man. Like that happened to me because I'm a black man. And there's still, there is still this unspoken belief, you know, as it relates to some white people that white people are superior to black people. And that's where this whole idea of privilege comes from, man. I mean, it's a, it, it's a belief backed by systems that have been put in place in this country way before any of us ever thought of. Yeah, to benefit yeah, particular. Exactly. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, it's like, it's not, it's never an attack. And it's something that we all have to recognize has been in place for the test of time in our country. And so, you know, I think the first step in, in moving forward and actually, you know, facilitating real change is acknowledging that and, and trying to do your part, you know, as a citizen to, to really, really help the cause. And so, you know, it's, you know, it's a great question. And and it goes into the next question. Does someone need to recognize their white privilege before being able to be a part of the change and truly understand the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, man, that's, that's a pretty solid question. First and foremost, I want to I want to say that the concept of privilege it's not an attack. It's not an attack on you who is privileged. I think one of the greatest things about America, at least the way the constitution was structured is that this is the land of opportunity. Ike, that's the reason why your parents and my parents came here. Is yeah, exactly. This, this is a land that has opportunity provided, you know, you work hard and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you can make it in this world. Like you can actually be privileged. I mean, I'm way more privileged than some of my cousins that are still back home in Cameroon and Nigeria. I just am because this is a more developed country. Yeah. Albeit we have our issues, but there's certainly issues back there. Yeah. Where the idea of white privilege comes from. And again, it's not an attack to you, but where it comes from is because of my black skin, because of my darker skin, as compared to your white skin, there are systemic forces that create a bit of a steeper grade for me to actually pull myself up on my bootstraps and make it here in this country as compared to you. That's it. And that's the concept of privilege. Exactly. I went to Marquette University High School, prep school in Milwaukee. That's where like literally the mayor's kids went. That's where like Bucks players' kids went, like all the movers and shakers in Milwaukee. Like that's where their kids went. And many of those kids got into that school because... They had a dad that went there. They had a grandfather that went there, so on and so forth. Whereas I know for a fact, because I was talking with my guidance counselor, that some black kids didn't get the opportunity to enter the class of 09 where I was, right? My graduating class, because some of those spots were already allocated and or reserved for kids that had, you know, a grandpa or, you know, some sort of family member there. That's privilege. That's privilege. So that's what we're really hoping to get people that are in the majority, get white folks to hopefully wrap their head around a little bit more. It's not to say that you don't have to go through difficulties in life. It's not to say that you don't have, you know, a tough go at it. We all have shit that we 
deal with, which is why Ike, you know, so beautifully talked about meditation and some of these different things that you can do from a self-help perspective. But the fact that our skin is darker and your skin is not as dark, aka you're white, the odds are in your favor that you're actually set up to be more successful in this country. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, you know, touching on, on that exact point, it's, you know, you, it's a similar experience to you in high school, obviously with going to Creighton prep where, you know, it was the same thing, whether it was your dad that went there, your grandpa, you know, your, your uncle, whatever the case may be. But the majority of the classmates that we had were white because of the circumstances outside of really their control that they, that they were kind of born into. Whereas I luckily had the ability to get into the school because of my grades. But I feel like the other African-Americans that went there, talking with them, a lot of them were going there because of the fact that they could play basketball really well or they could play football really well. And, and, and that was the only reason that they had the opportunity even to go to such a prestigious school versus, you know, like you talked about, it's, you know, you had spots that were reserved because it was something that they were born into you know, because of, you know, in large part, the color of their skin. And so at the end of the day, you know, just look at life from the standpoint, if you're looking at white privilege as a whole, you know, a lot of times our society is set up where let's say it's a hundred meter race. You have a head start here, you know, as a white person in our country versus a minority. And so if you're trying to, you know, run an equal race here and win, it's going to be almost impossible to do that when, you're given a head start or you don't get that head start in life. Also, here's a, a quick little litmus test that any of you listening can run on yourself in order to better understand this idea of white privilege, okay? And that's one simple question. Ask yourself this question. Would you want to be treated like an African-American minority in America? That's a, that's a great question. If you, <laughs> if you say, yeah, okay. But I, I'm, I'm willing to bet the majority of you, the majority of you are like, nah, you know, shit, my daddy and I don't get along. I got X, Y, and Z, you know, that I'm dealing with, but I'm good. Like the majority of you are going to be like, I'm good. And that hopefully should demonstrate to you this concept of white privilege that, that is real and that is alive and exists within our nation. That's all we're saying. That's all we're saying. Yeah. You know, we appreciate the perspectives on it because it, you don't have to necessarily agree with it, but I think it's important to take a step back and kind of understand what it right. means and, and where we're coming from and think about how the system is set up in some ways, in most ways, to benefit a white person more than a minority in this country. Um, and so right. the, really right. the, la the last question that kind of really encompasses everything that we've talked about here today is a great one. And it says, as a white person who has recently started educating themselves on racial injustices, what other actions would you recommend I take? And then alongside that, they ask, what actions would you recommend to my parents who are part of the generation that let a lot of these things go by the wayside? Yeah. Um, I love the question. Thank you for writing it in, whoever wrote this one in. Um, because I think it gets to the fundamentals of what we are trying to get at here as a nation. And that is we need, we need a greater level of understanding as to the other side's perspective. And it goes both ways. You know, black people, African-Americans, minorities in this country can probably 
you know, stand to gain a lot of benefit by being able to have more open and honest conversations with white people, right? To understand their walk of life. And the same goes for white people. You know, a lot of you guys tend to only socialize with white people or people that you feel a little bit more comfortable around. And so there's a lot that you're leaving on the table in terms of understanding uh, the African-American individual's journey as it relates to America. And so something that stands out into my mind immediately is get around more black people. And I'm not saying that you need to like become urban. I'm not saying that you need to ditch, you know, the, the uh, Brooks Brothers fit for, you know, something that, that's a little bit more urban culture or whatever the case may be. Some I'm just saying, yeah i'm just saying like literally like try to better understand uh, what it's like for an african-american and that could be as simple as shopping at a black-owned business i know denver has a couple of cafes that are black-owned that my girlfriend and i are starting to scout out that we want to start patroning a bit more you know just trying to get in that like culture a bit more um call your african-american friends you know have conversations about what you're struggling with, what you're enjoying in life. I mean, just real genuine conversations that hopefully will lead to them also opening up to you. So there's a little bit more understanding and familiarity about the walk of life, right? Volunteer. Every city has a United Way organization. It's one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the United States. And they're typically situated in, you know, underserved uh, communities within your city, within your greater metro area. Go there and volunteer. They're always looking for people, you know, just, just to have a nice warm smile. And I know that might be a little bit difficult right now with COVID, but you get the point. You, you get the general idea. And certainly just be willing to keep an open mind. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that by you doing so, you'll be able to take some of those lessons that you're learning, some of those you know, new realizations that are starting to dawn and occur to you, you'll be able to take that back to your parents that are in another generation. And I think one of the biggest things that can get that generation to start to kind of come on board a little bit is seeing that their own kids, right? Like their own, their own offspring are starting to kind of look at the world through a different lens. They're starting to see things from a different perspective and they're educating them. And I think that like when that comes from your kin, when that comes from the person that you literally created, I would hope that there's a greater acceptance towards the fact that, oh my God, maybe I have missed the boat here a little bit on some of these social issues that have really kept us oppressed for the test of time. Honestly, it's going to be our generation. And I, I I know that you're personally struggling with this right now, right? Where you know, your girlfriend's parents maybe aren't as open to understanding the landscape for everything that it currently encompasses. Yeah, so I think it's um, it's more, I wouldn't say they're, I think some of her family members are open to understanding, but I think there's just a lot of knowledge that needs to be shared. And the simple ask from my end is just to have that initial conversation. So that's kind of where we're at as a whole. And, you know, to answer the question directly, it's, you know, that's a simple answer. And when it comes down to it is having an open mind, having an open heart, not taking offense to, you know, anything that we're saying, or getting defensive or feeling like you need to explain yourself, rather just trying to have the conversation and understand. I think that's the simple thing that any white person out there, you know, can do you know, as they continue to educate themselves on the racial injustices 
that continue to plague our society. In terms of a more complex thing that anyone can do, like Carl alluded to, it's, you know, whether it's donating. You know, I work for, for the last six years, I work for a great company in Yelp, whereas we have recently rolled out um, an icon, a badge that will be displayed for all Black-owned businesses on Yelp. And so very easy for anyone who's using the site looking for a Black-owned business now to find one no matter where you live. Simple things like that, you know, whether it's, you know, like we talked about earlier, donating or, or volunteering, things like that. But also, too, you know, to, to your parents, you know, it's, and to those who have kids, it's important to, to when you see, you know, whether it's in the workforce, whether you see it in schools, if you don't see diversity, rather than understanding that it, that it, that it doesn't exist and, and, and wishing that it did and, you know, leaving it at that, take some sort of action, have a conversation with principals, have a conversation with teachers out there and ask about the fact that there isn't a more diverse experience at that school. When you see it in the workforce, you know, ask about why there isn't a more diverse C-level or diverse management level within the company that you work for, you know, things like that. Those are all, you know, those are a little bit more complex, but yeah. part of the problem as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't think a lot of us realize that in our subconscious mind, when we don't see females or minorities in the C-suite or even in our places of work, that's communicating subconsciously, oh, those positions aren't for people that look like us. They're not for black males. You know what I'm saying? And so to your point, I, I love that, you know, for instance, with your example with Yelp, I love that you use that example because I feel like if we can be more proactive about having that conversation with our peers in the workspace, be like, yo, what, what, what can we do to show uh, more inclusiveness here? Like, I think that starts to break down the walls around some of the things that we all harbor in our subconscious mind about some of these positions just traditionally not being for African-Americans. You know, I love what you talk about with Yelp, rolling out that, that cool little badge. Like, that's an awesome thing that Yelp is now doing in my mind to make it easier for me as a, as a consumer. Like, let's pretend I was white and I was asking this question about what can I do to just be a little bit more proactive? I love that Yelp is doing that because in a platform that they've already created, that's already existed for however long Yelp has existed, they are now making it easier to find Black-owned businesses, Black-owned restaurants that I can go and patron and that I can go and shop at. Like, that's huge. And so I like that example because it demonstrates a very quick and easy thing that any of us can do in whatever capacity we're currently working in, right? To bring about greater equality. Like, I'm sure that didn't take that much work for Yelp to roll out. I'm sure it didn't. Yeah, but so, it's something that we should have had for, you know, for a long right, time. You know what I mean? Right. So, and, back to the, and back to my analogy of, or back to the story about how many reminders do we need Unfortunately, it's taken this many reminders. And so the past is the past, right? All we, can, all we can worry about right now is the present moment and what we do from this point in time to get better going forward. And so how we make this a lifestyle, right? That we all embody this lifestyle of, of equality versus some sort of quick little social media you know, trend is finding ways in your immediate lifestyle that you can start to show greater equality. That's it. I mean, for me as a podcaster, I'm trying to have more African-Americans on. You know, I even realized that, wow, the scales were definitely weighing in the favor of white people that have been on my show versus black people. Like, that's a quick, easy thing that I can do. I, you know, I, I'm not sure 
what you're doing at Yelp or what your current capacity is, but you hit the nail on the head. You can just have more open and honest conversations about, hey, we need more diversity. You've been there six years. You've been crushing it. Now you can have those conversations and hopefully open up the floodgates for other people that look like you so that they can come on board Yelp and have some of the great opportunities that you've had. So I, I just really encourage people to think about where they're at in life and to actually look at their position in life as a great platform right now to advocate on behalf of equality. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Like start to be an advocate. Advocate yeah. first and everything else will take care of itself. I promise you guys that. Yeah. And to answer the second part of this question as well, you know, recommendations to parents who may have not taken any action in the past or were part of the generation where things kind of were, you know, kind of just left, you know, as is. And so again, you know, the, really the, the main emphasis of this episode is really about like, we didn't, we didn't have any answers prepared for any of these questions here. We're winging it. You know, it's going to yeah. sound very raw, but the main thing what we're trying to do here is just continue having conversations. And so, you know, a lot of you out there have told me personally that you've had very, very uncomfortable conversations with your parents where you've had to hang up the phone or it's been awkward or there's been crime or whatever the case may be. Continue to do that because at the end of the day, like we talked about earlier, you know, having those conversations with individuals in your life will lead to them having those conversations with individuals in their life. And well, that will lead to it continuing to grow from there. And I think once we have enough of those conversations in terms of a majority, I think that's when we start to really, really see permanent change as a society. And some ways, you know, some ways down the road, we want to look back and say, okay, now we're living in a world where our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids, you know, have that true equality. And so that's really where it starts. Simple, actionable, very easy things that we can all do whether no matter what the color of your skin. And I think it's important to continue to do that. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. Ike, I think we've gone a little over an hour. Um, (laughs) The people are probably like, yo, it's Father's Day. Give us our time back. So we want to wrap it up. And again, we do really want to thank you for your time. I mean, it means so much that you're willing to take some time to listen to us have these conversations. All we're trying to do here is just provide a template, if you will, right? As to what you can start to do now with your friends, your family members, et cetera. We don't have it all figured out, but I tell you what, we do get to a place where we start to have things fall into place and we start to really make real meaningful change by having these imperfect conversations. However imperfect they may be, it doesn't matter. It just matters that we're having the conversation. You know, I have this thing that I like to say as it relates to my life. It's a little bit of a mantra and it is, done is better than perfect. There are so many times in my life where I just told myself, you know what? I got to have it perfect before I actually pull the trigger. Like everything needs to be in line before I actually move forward and take action. Like fuck that shit, man. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't. Just get it done. Don't worry about how you sound. Don't worry about, you know, coming off as uh, uncultured or, or insensitive or whatever the case may be. Like just focus on the action of the conversation. And I promise you enough momentum and enough steam will start to propel this into, you know, a real, a real lasting uh, positive outcome. That's really going to improve the landscape of our life as we currently know it. So I love you guys. Thank you so much. Ike and I are going to be coming at you guys next week with some great actionable. So we're going to be wrapping this whole series up with some great actionables that you can start to implement immediately to hopefully see Black Lives Matters as more of a lifestyle 
than some sort of controversial movement that you're trying to figure out, you know, what role you play in. This is a lifestyle. Equality is a lifestyle and you're a part of that. So thank you so much. We'll come at you all soon. Peace. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not promised. So there's no better time than the present to get into the arena of your life and to start moving towards your purpose and potential. Peace. Hey, I want to personally thank you again for tuning in. At the end of the day, I really do believe that we're all in this game of life to help one another out. And that the best way we can do this is through sharing our stories more openly and honestly. And so, if you like the show, please take a quick minute to leave us a rating, drop us a review, and subscribe for more. Also, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better and hear your story. Please head over to carlsona.com slash chat. That's Carl with a K. S-O-N-A.com slash chat to book a 15-minute free Zoom call with me and I can't wait to see you there.